Well, like Nick mentioned early on, um, if you were coming to hear a pastor today, you're going to be disappointed. But um, some funny things have been going on in the church the last couple of weeks. Last week, Joanne got called over to preach a traditional, and Kevin got the call to preach here. This week, something similar happened. Uh, let's see, Joanne's away on the retreat where a lot of people from this fellowship are right now, and, and Maria is under the weather, so now you got me. Third string this week, second string last week. But I would like us to start this time with prayer, so would you pray with me? Almighty God, you do command the highest praise. All glory goes to you, and Father, I pray that whatever is mentioned, whatever is discussed this morning, that would all be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The church is in a series on faith right now, as you may be aware. So it's uh, six Sundays looking at what difference faith makes. Uh, Two weeks ago, Joanne brought a message on what difference faith makes in marriage. Last week was uh, faith in parenting. And today is faith in crisis. Um, And if you have been here when I've spoken before, you know that my favorite comic strip is Pearls Before Swine. When the first one shows up, someone raised their hand, so I'll know it's queued up. It's a comic strip where uh, there are animals that populate everything. And and one of the things that's cool about it is that it reveals a lot of things about church stuff and faith issues. And so I always like that particular one. Ha, no one raised their hand. Um, So... And do you know any of the nine justices on the Supreme Court? And by the way, this cartoon came out before Scalia's death. But uh, And Pig answers, one. And Goat asks him, who? Diana Ross. She's a supreme. I know, but I can't name the other eight. He's confused about the Supreme Court. And many times we're confused about issues of faith. Um, On one hand, we can oversimplify it. We can think, well, that's just belief in God. I believe in God. What's the big deal? Other times, we overcomplicate it, and we think, we hear stories about how you had to have this much faith to accomplish this in this Bible story or in this person that I saw. I don't think I have enough of that. So it's good that we do spend some time talking about these things to understand the significance of faith. And for today, What difference does faith make in moments of crisis? Well, a crisis is those significant high-stakes moments that come in our life. Inevitably, it's going to happen to everybody. If you're not going through one right now, you know someone who is. So it's, it's those moments, though, that require some critical decisions to be made and some decisive action to be taken. So we all go through these moments. The scripture reference for today, and it's the same one that's being preached over in the traditional service as we speak, comes from 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. And hear this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In that passage, there are lots of promises and a lot of good stuff. Um, He said, it says, God will lift us up. He cares for us. Through faith, we can resist the devil. It says he'll restore us and make us strong and that he's called us to glory with him. That's powerful stuff. But like so many passages in the Bible, many times built in to all these great promises are a couple of things we really wish weren't there. And we have this lion thing going on. A lot of people here have probably watched Animal Planet. You know how things look on the African plain when a lion's going after a a victim in the herd. Who is he going for? He's going for the young, the immature, the weak, the ones who are disabled for a period of time. And many times when we're going through some sort of crisis, you know, the devil doesn't think like we do. You would think, oh, I'll take it easy on that person. They're going through a lot. It's the opposite. Sometimes when we're going through a crisis, that's when we are tempted to think those things, thoughts that are not coming from God. God's not with me in this. God, God isn't listening to my prayers. God isn't... God isn't with me in this like he promised he would be because I don't feel him in this right now. So, how do the promises of God, the promises for faith, come to us? And, as I was preparing for this, I thought of four ways that you are probably going to see on the screen. The first one is that God pours his Holy Spirit into us. Um, my apologies to members of our Sunday school class who uh, hear this a lot from me, but this is foundational to the church and to the life of the church. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised came down on the early church, on the first group of believers. And there was speaking in tongues for the purpose of witness and evangelism. And then right after that, Peter gets up and explains the significance of all of this. And one of the things he talks about is, this is how it's set up now. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and his job is to pour out the Holy Spirit as God directs. You know, we talk about the Trinity, that's not the purpose of today, but, but that's kind of how the Trinity is set up according to Acts chapter 2, that at various times, there's no water in this, don't worry, at various times, as God directs, Jesus pours his spirit into this situation, into this individual, into this church, because God knows when and where it's needed the most. So God pours his spirit into us if we're willing to receive it. As you study the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, what you see is that there are several gifts that are mentioned. Gifts of the Spirit. These are significant empowerments that the Holy Spirit gives people to accomplish acts of ministry and to glorify God. And among those things are wisdom and knowledge and 
healing and working of miracles. But in that list, we find faith. Everyone has a measure of faith. But there are certain times where the Holy Spirit pours, Jesus pours the Holy Spirit into an individual to give them an extra portion of that for a purpose. Sometimes it's for that person to deal with the crisis. Sometimes it's so that they can be an example to others around them and encourage all the others when they see that example. And the cool thing is we also learn about fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace is one of them. As the gift of faith manifests in a person's life, that person develops peace. God's peace that is much more significant than temporal happiness. So, how does this come to us? How do you receive that? It can come in all kinds of ways. It starts with an open spirit, an open heart on your end, but sometimes it can come through the lyrics of a song. You know, a phrase that you've sung a hundred times all of a sudden has special meaning to you and blesses you in that moment. It definitely happens through Scripture all the time. Um, Maybe something you hear at church. Maybe a painting that one of your sisters in Christ did to bless us. It can come through all different kinds of things. And and sometimes it's just a direct filling into a, a willing vessel. Um, as many of you know, I'm a pediatrician, and this past week I was looking at my schedule first thing in the morning to see who's coming in that day, and, on the, and it'll tell a brief phrase about why they're coming in. And it said, three-year-old to have stitches removed from the lip. And I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I think they're going to have to go back to the ER that put them in. Well, that was a few states away, so that was not an option. Um... So I was all prepared to go in there and say, this is not something that can be done without anesthesia. He's going to have to have him removed under some sedation or something like that. I can't do this. Um, I was prepared to go in there, and I walk in, and it's mom and grandma and and the three-year-old boy. And we started talking about the stitches being put in, and I found out it was some other ER where I couldn't just turf them back. And she mentioned, well, he was perfect for getting them put in. And I said, oh, Really? And she said, yeah, he just laid there. They had put some numbing stuff on there, but he just laid there and got the five stitches, now four because he pulled one out. But she said he was fine for that. And I started thinking, okay, well, let's give this a try. And I talked through the usual stuff that I do. It's just like a haircut. Does that hurt? No. Okay, well, this is the same thing. That kind of stuff. But he lay down, and he was perfect. I got all four of them out because, you know, the lip... That moves. I don't, and the stitches for the face are the tiniest ones of all that you use. This is really delicate stuff. And the only problem that I had is that he thought it was funny when I would get up close enough to him to see the stitches, he'd start, you know, he'd start grinning. And so the stitches would move. And so I was going to work against that. But it worked just fine. Afterwards, mom said, I think there must have been divine intervention in all of this. So she kind of threw it out there. I took the bait. And I said, well, it sounds like someone's been praying for him with this. And that got us going. He said, absolutely. And, and I said, yep, God does things when we pray about it that he doesn't do when we don't pray. And, you know, God was in the midst of that. And she was saying divine intervention because she said just a few months ago when he got shots, he screamed bloody murder. 
usually when a child is coming in so soon after that, they're not going to sit still for the next thing that happens to them. Um, But I believe God poured that in as a result of his mother's prayer to have them put in and taken out. And God does that at times. In our moments of crisis, he is willing to pour into us as we need it. Um, What better way to illustrate this than with a cartoon? So we got another one. Another pearls before swine. Um, Are you religious when it's convenient? What does that mean? When I want to judge others or fear impending death. I think that's called opportunism. Then I'm its patron saint. And in all honesty, there are a lot of people who come to God because of some kind of crisis where they may not have felt sufficiently inclined to come to God before that. But then this crisis happens in their life. The options start falling, and sometimes that's when people come to God. And you know what? God is totally fine with that. You know, God doesn't cause that stuff. Let me be clear about that. The stuff, the crises, these are going to happen to all of us. How we respond to it is our choice. And for those who choose to seek God in the midst of crisis, God will pour himself into them. He'll pour his spirit in, and he'll walk through it with us. Um, The thing is, he is ready to do this at any time, but we resist it, don't we? For all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's a control thing. Sometimes it's fear, because we think... Well, what if I align myself really close with God and then he asked me to do something? He might ask me to go to Africa and be his witness. He might ask me to go to China and be his witness there. Or worse of all, he might ask me to be his witness in Noonan. Sometimes these things are easier to do where no one knows you, right? To be a public, forceful witness of God. And what it is we fear a lot of times is that we fear that if we seek him, his answer to us may not be, I'm going to take this away. Right? We worry about that. Our fear is, what if he doesn't take this away? What if he doesn't take this crisis away? He might require me to walk through it. Which brings me to my second point. Part of how God addresses issues of faith in crisis is that he will remind us of his presence. Sometimes in powerful ways. And scripture is full of these promises about God's willingness to be with us, to walk with us through these things. Um, That passage from 1 Peter, we read at the beginning, it has those promises. Psalm 23, verse 4. You've heard this before. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comforts me. There's nothing in there that God is promising to just take it away. He doesn't say, I'm going to remove you from this valley. He says, I'm going to walk with you through it, and I will be a comfort to you. Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, Many of you may remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It's in the book of Daniel. Um, There were three Hebrews 
who had been captured. They were in exile. And they got into trouble with the local authorities and King Nebuchadnezzar because they continued to live out their faith and their faith practices against official orders. So he ordered them thrown into the furnace. The furnace was so hot, I think it killed a lot of the guards who had to put them in there. And as it finally cooled down enough to where King Nebuchadnezzar could see into, into the furnace and make out images, he saw the three of them. Praying, singing, having a good time in the midst of all of that. But then he says, and I see a fourth who looks like the son of God. That was Jesus in the furnace with them. God didn't turn off the heat. He didn't take them out of it. He chose to walk into there, into the furnace, and be a presence to them during it. That's what he does. He reminds us of his presence. What did we sing earlier And God is able? And by the way, do you pay attention to what you sing? Because you need to. But we sang, God is with us. God is on our side. He is with us. He will go before. He will never leave us. He will never fail us. We sang that. Do you believe it? You know, and you got to go based on what you know not what you feel. Your feelings will betray you. And there are times where, and and this is just my personal take on the whole Mother Teresa thing, saying she didn't hear from God in the latter stages of her ministry. I think we can be deceived by our feelings. We have to stand on what we know, and what we know is what was written here that is a promise, that God is faithful. But it is tough. It is tough to stand firm on that when life is throwing all kinds of things against us. Whether it's a financial crisis, a bad diagnosis, a relational problem in a marriage or some other family situation or a friendship, a work situation. These things happen periodically throughout our life. So how are we going to react? And of course cartoon characters will show us how. Where was Pig today? I didn't see him at the diner. I gave him one of those Chinese finger traps. Oh, one of those small woven cylinders that free you easily if you just relax your fingers and don't panic. I chose panic. If you can't tell, his whole body is wrapped up inside the finger trap now. And our tendency is to panic. So the third thing God does in those situations is that he will change our perspective. He will change our perspective on our situation. And I'll give an example of this. I thought, okay, so my temptation was to panic on Wednesday when I was asked to do this. I've done it before, but I usually have several weeks of notice before before I have to do it. So I have more time to think about it. I'm a planner. Those of you who know me know me. Uh, you know that I'm like that. So, but I wanted to be faithful. And I thought, okay, faith in a crisis. Here, here we go. Um, God's making me live it out. And he started to change my perspective. Because what I heard about last week when Kevin had to preach, I heard that you found out like the morning of or something like that. <laughs> and so I went from thinking... God, I only have four days to thinking, okay, 
you gave me four days. Because he knew if I had gotten that kind of offer that I would have been in the finger trap. So he changes our perspective. And, and he also reminded you, and by the way, you heard about two days before that this was a possibility. So, you know, I actually gave you six days. Uh, yes, sir. Okay, we're good. We're going to get this done. But the temptation to panic was there. I want to give you a visual demonstration of this. So I need my uh, helpers to come up here, please. I've got a few Israelites that are coming up here. And you remember the story of David and Goliath in the Bible, right? So David and Goliath... (laughs) David and Goliath... You know, the Israelites were looking at Goliath. He was challenging and tormenting all of them. And he challenged them to battle. And none of them would come up. Because what they were doing, and I'm Goliath, they were looking at Goliath in relationship to themselves. And so he looked a whole lot bigger than they did. That was very intimidating to them. And so the Israelites looked at Goliath and they trembled. They trembled. How do we tremble? They're shaking. That's close enough. So, what did David do, though, that was different? David had a different perspective, a different vantage point, David. What David did is he looked at Goliath in relation to something a whole lot bigger, which was God. And the more David looked at this situation, the more he started to realize... God's bigger than Goliath. And as he continued to look at the situation, Goliath kind of faded from view because his eyes were on God. Thanks, guys. You see what I'm saying here? Do you see what we're supposed to do in these situations? God, the more he can come to the forefront of our vision, because we all have a Goliath in our lives, right? or we have in the past, one's coming in the future. Our challenge, the thing that's so hard, is to let that challenge be eclipsed by the glory of God. Because if we keep our eyes fixed on God, we are led in the right way. We know he's going to walk with us through whatever it is. Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16... He described the Holy Spirit as a counselor. Well, what does a counselor do? It helps you put things in perspective. A counselor helps you see the situation for what it is. A counselor gives you advice on how to navigate what's in front of you. The counselor doesn't take over your life. The counselor doesn't live your life for you. But it's there as a a helper to help you deal with what you have in front of you. Um... And one of the things God does for me is he reminds me of other people and and their situations, and that helps me put my own stuff in perspective, too. Um, Final of the four things that he does for us, and this is really cool. Part of how he builds our faith is he encourages us through the faith of others. Um, David Johnson is not here this morning, so I can... Uh, use him. Several years ago, um, there were about four of us who were friends who were on different committees here in the church. I was on SPR. Uh, Sean Hart was head of stewardship. Trey Rhodes was head of finance. 
and David Johnson was on both stewardship and finance, and we were having kind of a crisis of giving in our church. And there was a lot of wondering, well, what are we supposed to do when not enough money is coming in to fund what we've budgeted? And so the four of us got together, I guess just deciding, let's pray about it and see how God leads us in this. And I remember being in that group, and three of us were you know, describing the problem and the situation and, and kind of wringing our hands over it. And then David, in the middle of that conversation, he says, you know, I'm kind of excited that we're having a low-giving year because that just gives God more room to work. And that totally changed the trajectory of our conversation. All of a sudden, his faith spread to the rest of us instantly and totally cast it in a new perspective. Um, you know, it was, all, it was those things on the list all happening together. At the same time, God poured in with a, a move of faith in him. It helped us change our perspective, it reminded us of his presence, and it came through someone else. Um, the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, like I said, it's to accomplish acts of ministry in the body of Christ, and it's to glorify God. Um, there's a movie that many of you have heard of. Called, it's, well, the whole thing is called Lord of the Rings. And the basic story, most people have probably heard of this or seen it or read this, the books, but uh, in this, there's one character, Frodo, who comes into possession of a powerful ring. The bad guy has put all of his energy, all of his power into this ring. Uh, and Frodo's job is to take it back to the volcano where it was first created and throw it in there. Then they can defeat the bad guys. So this whole story plays out over three very long movies. And it comes to this point near the end where Frodo and his best friend Sam, who has been with him through the entire journey, come to this point where, because of all kinds of things that have happened to them, um, attacks and injuries and um, starvation and all these other things, they're not sure if they're going to get there. They've actually made it to the volcano, and they're trying to make their way up the side of the volcano, and they're just depleted. Frodo is completely spent. Sam doesn't have much left, but he does have enough to offer what he has to his friend. I first read those books in middle school, and I thought they were incredible. But after I read them again as an adult and saw that the Christian imagery that, that permeates that whole series, it's given me a much deeper appreciation to it. What he said at the end, I can't carry it, meaning the ring, his, I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. And sometimes... When we're depleted, that's why we're part of a body of Christ. Because sometimes it's going to be the faith of others that sustains you in this moment. That gets you through that. And sometimes you're the one who needs to carry one of your brothers or sisters. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I can't think of a better movie scene that captures that. Um, you know, crisis comes to all of us, and in the, midst of, in the midst of these scripture passages that are so comforting and reassuring, every now and then we find something 
that we kind of wish wasn't there. Um, Did you catch that in the opening passage? Not the lion part, but verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. After you have suffered a little while. Dang it. (laughs) Why did that have to be in there? And then we see John 16, 33, another familiar passage. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. These passages that are supposed to be so comforting to us, they come with an acknowledgement there are going to be problems. But that acknowledgement is always tied to the promise that Jesus is going to be there to walk with us through it. Sometimes he's the one carrying us. So why do we have to have the suffering? Why do we have to have the trouble? Why do we have to have those crisis moments? There was a book that was real popular a few years ago called The Shack. And, and I don't even remember who said it in the book or what the context of this was. But he said, faith is not built in the house of certainty. Faith is not built in the house of certainty. It's through these moments that all of a sudden our faith gets energized. And it becomes real. And it gives us credibility for when we want to speak to someone else's situation. Rather than just say, oh, I know you'll be okay. It takes more than that sometimes to speak to someone's heart who's going through something of significance. Faith is built. God has his part that he's always willing to do by pouring it in. It is a gift from him. And our part is choosing to accept. Choosing to go his way even when the path ahead of us looks pretty scary. Um, But it is a process and it grows. It's something that's built over time. And, you know, when I talk about this, the person that comes to mind is my good friend Rob Estes, who's over here. And many of you know him, know his situation with his brain cancer. And people are all the time looking at him and are just amazed at the amount of peace he has. Yes, There's a bunch of bad stuff that he's had to go through. Yes, there's a battle still to come. Goliath has been knocked down a few times, tries to keep getting up. God's going to keep knocking him back down again, though. But part of why Rob can go through this with a kind of faith that encourages and energizes other people is because of what he was doing before this crisis came. He was already deliberate and intentional about taking steps to deepen his faith. Whether it was retreats, mission trips, Bible study during the week, there were specific things in place that have enabled this. And our faith grows when we see it play out in someone's life like that. So, what difference does faith make? Faith doesn't keep us from crisis. Faith is what grounds us and strengthens and supports us when we're in the midst of crisis. 
So what were those four things? What does God do? He pours out the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of his presence. He helps us change our perspective. And then he'll encourage us through the faith of others. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, in Lent, frequently we give something up for the, for the time of Lent, and it's usually something like soft drinks or chocolate or, you know, some, something that we normally enjoy, and we give it up for a period of time in Lent. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to give up something we didn't want to carry, something that was a burden? This morning you have the chance to do that. It doesn't mean that the burden disappears, but it means that God is ready to give you a new perspective on it, that God is ready to pour into you the faith that it takes to walk through what you've got to walk through. 